practice makes Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Practice Makes Practice, the podcast. Um, I'm Christopher Knowles, the executive director of the organization. And uh, today I have Brandon Collins with me, uh, hanging out for a little bit. Um, we're gonna talk about his practice, his world, what he's got going on. So uh, welcome, Brandon. How are you doing today? Hey, thanks. I'm doing really well. How are you? I am chill. It's uh, It's been a good day. I've been out getting some coffee with friends and just talking to some people. Uh, just had a conversation with a really rad dude in Chicago about some potential projects, actually, for the organization. So it's been a good day. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, let's kind of get right into it. Uh, let's kick it off. Um, if you could, could you define your practice for us and what are you doing now? Um, yeah, uh, I think, um, there are a few different ways that it could be described. Um, but I've tried to kind of put words to a few of the things that I'm currently doing and have been doing for the last couple of years. Um, doing quite a bit of archiving of my own work and then some other things that, um, have sort of influenced my work over the years doing research uh, primarily to just give context to my work and also to kind of help myself and others like forecast and speculate about um, changes that might come, um, what changes we can influence and what things we can kind of create uh, for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of experimenting with um, Kind of new media formats, augmented reality, um, mixed reality, sort of investigating kind of every angle of the digital arena. Yep. Um, and uh, some product design and product product development work as well. Um, cool. So uh, taking taking sort of um, launching from the kind of digital space in AR and mixed reality, and sort of trying to frame that and create new kinds of experiences and eventually maybe some hardware as well um oh, okay so dabbling in a, a lot of different territories um but really it's it's all it's all really really very much the same as my work has always been um mm-hmm. which is just interesting to frame it in that context um uh, i've for example like designed costumes for a while which is um in many ways itself uh, speculative work and yep a little bit of a product design and development and it's it, you know it's all so many things in one so it's really the same work it's just like kind of framing it in a new context for today do you feel like um you're just like every day that goes on you're getting a better sense of your practice or do you think you get more more questions and answers <laughs> like which way does that <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah i know what you mean um i think um it's a little bit of both. Like I definitely get more clarity around what exactly to execute and um, more clarity around the kind of context that I need to give to the work that I'm doing. Um, 
but at the same time, it just it does open up a lot more questions, um, which I think is good. I think yeah. um, the two kind of things don't need to be adversarial necessarily. I think it, it's kind of like if if new questions are popping up, then that might mean that you're headed in a valid valid direction. Um, and there's a lot of there's been a lot of confirmation for me recently, so it's good to like to get that that so a little bit of both do you have any examples right away that you for that confirmation that um that have been shown to you um well i think that like um a lot of what's happening in the realm of augmented reality now and how sort of impacting different industries mm -hmm. um, is really interesting to see happen. Um, I think like the, the conversation around the digital space, everything from digital economies and currencies to digital products and, you know, digital sort of self-reflection um, tools like avatars and things like that is, is mm -hmm. really interesting. And it's been going on for a while, but I think like it's all about context, like um, mm -hmm. the right things kind of have to be in place for the conversation to be significant in any way. And I think we're kind of seeing that transition start to happen. Um, and then also just like being around, both around people, friends, family, and then also, you know, not around them at the same time. Um, yeah. Definitely, definitely is like validating in terms of like what we need and just like as human beings and, um, sort of reframing, reframing the idea um, of what art is, what technology is, um, you know, what it means to have these kinds of relationships. Um, it all, it, you know, gets recontextualized and it's interesting um, and validating in a, lot of, in a lot of ways. I have I, a lot of it that one of my questions might be how do you go about organizing speculative work uh you know so if you have these questions emerge you have a process so that you can begin entering into a project that very much the project is rooted in a in a question yeah um that's a good question and you know it's definitely something that i as you know, I've uh, yeah. um, visited and revisited over and over again. Um, and I'm trying to take like, when you talk about like organizing for speculative work, I think that's a great phrasing. Um, one thing that comes to mind is like leadership. And I was having a conversation with a longtime friend and collaborator, Madeline Moore, actually, um, mm -hmm. yesterday about leadership and Kind of the need for leadership um but at the same time the need for autonomy and for a kind of like fluid um way of working together i think those things are critically important to think about um and i try to take a lot of references from different places to try to understand how to organize or how to move forward or or how to work with people generally Mm -hmm. um, everything from like evolutionary biology, which like, you know, been, you know, digging into a lot about like the lack of true hierarchy in natural systems. Yep. Um, 
that there are like different different ways that these things happen organically and and that there is kind of a, a soft hierarchy or soft shape to different ecosystems mm -hmm. um which is interesting and then um a couple other places um you know games like gaming game theory um the way you know changes can shift um in systems um not from any single point but really from different points in context to one another mm -hmm. um at the right time the right place and things like that so when it comes to organizing for um something like speculative work um i think it's a delicate balance between like you know intuition um and then you know context and making sure that the right people are in the right places and that the right people are talking to one another um <clears throat> at the right times Absolutely. which doesn't always look like our traditional kind of hierarchical um structure that mm -hmm. we're i think most of us are used to working in um so it takes a little bit of guesswork for sure interesting um, but i've seen it work a lot in my own like personal and collective work over time where um you can see that you as an individual or groups of people as individuals or as collectives <laughs> have sort of seeded um mm -hmm. growth in other places um and so in effect you've led something without having been like named or positioned directly as the leader of that um so there's there's a lot of instances of that, that which i think is important to to consider what leadership means or what organizing means in that that context Absolutely. Um, in your statement on your website, you say, I now enjoy working with interdisciplinary teams approaching projects with a central philosophy. Science, art, <clears throat> technology, and culture are synonymous. Um, you go on mm -hmm. further to say using cultural resources, the variables that shape identity to find connections in human experience, inform questions and speculate about the futures. I imagine new worlds. Um, mm -hmm. that is such a beautiful way of pulling together what might seem like difficult to digest disparate items. So mm -hmm. when you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, so, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I, I, I feel like I have a lot of questions just centered around this statement and how it is mm -hmm. finding, finding its manifestation in your practice. Um, mm -hmm. do you feel that the future itself is going to become more transparently interdisciplinary? And do you think we've always been mm -hmm. interdisciplinary? We just weren't allowing ourselves to connect in that way. Yeah. So there's a lot here. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm try to dig through it. Go, Go for it. With me. Um, so yes, I, I think that we are moving more and more towards um, a place of embracing, but also kind of utilizing our interdisciplinary-ness <laughs> um, to benefit, um, possibly to benefit um, individuals and communities. Um, I think that we have, like as humans, always been interdisciplinary. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's just like a natural part of being like a conscious 
being is that you are inherently interdisciplinary. Um, and it's very simple, you know, like mm-hmm. you have to eat, you know, you have to, you do want to enjoy things about life. Um, you live in a, you inhabit a body. So there's a physicality to yourself. So you have to engage with space, space. Mm-hmm. Um, you have an individual identity an identity that's connected to multiple people, friends, family, mm-hmm. so on and so forth, uh, multiple interests. Um, yeah. you know, all of these things that make up an individual, you know, it's interdisciplinary. You have different things. We can call them disciplines that we can just call them subjects or whatever it is, realities. All these words are interchangeable, yeah. um, with which you engage. And because of that, that that's essentially what, what kind of like we would, I would, I think we would say makes us whole quote unquote. Yeah. Um, and as a consequence of a number of different things, um, one of them being like colonialism, um, other things like the philosophies around economics and the philosophies around and concepts around gender and things like that mm-hmm. um, have been um, about kind of reducing things to its individual parts and sort of segmenting things in order to understand them. So you look at a video game console, if you want to know how it works, you take it apart and break down all the pieces. Right. Um, or if you want to understand an atom, you divide it, <laughs> you yeah. break it into different pieces. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. So that's been kind of the approach is like a, a, a sort of dividing in, in order to understand um, or divide and conquer kind of approach mm-hmm. um, to different systems, um, whether that as opposed to sort of a philosophy, an integrative philosophy or understanding, um, which sort of uh, takes the perspective that essentially everything is the same. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. if you can study in any one thing in depth, then you can understand many things. Or if you study mm-hmm. many things on a surface level, it gives you enough context to um, to navigate and to understand those things maybe in depth in a way. Yeah. So both both philosoph- philosophical approaches have their, their benefits and I think drawbacks. Um, and there's, you know, it's not a binary. There's, there's not only two, there are other approaches to things, which Definitely. I think is important to understand. Definitely. Too. So um, all these things play a role and um, I tried to do a kind of a clumsy job of articulating what my work, our work is, um, doing mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. um but i think that kernel about science technology art is really important specifically for creative people mm-hmm. um because i think creative people i'll just speak on my own you know some of my own experiences and not in just like the technology realm but in other sectors creative people tend to be they tend to generally have a similar um, value system, mm-hmm. tend to um, sort of share a sense of understanding about kind of the ways that the world works. Mm-hmm. Um, and they tend to, in a lot of spaces, especially in the technology spaces, sort of mm-hmm. play the empathy gap role. Mm. Um, me coming from a place of, of, of working in advertising for over a decade. Um, that's essentially kind of what you find yourself 
being is the empathy gap between mm. something that exists as like a product and the public, you know, who needs to understand it and feel it and be told a story about it that they can step into and feel a part of. Yeah. It is a very, very important thing. Yeah. And I think that like now we've always been here in many different ways. So it's not really a new time that we're in. It's just unique because we happen to be in it. But I think now we're at a place where like creative folks generally need to reassess their role as it relates to essentially every industry in every sector, <clears throat> economics, technology, um, so on and so forth. Um, because there isn't a difference between really like fundamentally like technology, art, science, and all these things. Mm. Um, they're, they're really stories that we yeah. tell ourselves and they, you know, if somebody is weaving a basket, you know, they're telling a story by doing it because, you know, story, you know, people inhabit stories, you know, mm -hmm. or, or stories live within them. You know, you carry the history of your, your people. Yes. Uh, you carry your story as an individual, which then goes into what you craft. Right. Um, right. And, and that basket that you've woven comes from materials from the world around you. Um, and, you know, it, it takes a lot to, to sort of get to that point, but that's a technology, you know, it's a, things like, you know, clothing, you know, all of these things, uh, food is a technology, all these things can be termed as technologies. Mm -hmm. And thinking about it from that framework, <clears throat> I think changes the way you approach it and it changes the way you understand I think a lot, a lot of the technology that we inhabit now, because um, all of these things were woven by hands of real people who have stories and like they're underpinned by philosophies and, and concepts, which may or may not benefit us. Um, so, you know, I, I, me using this iPhone, you know, it was, it was built by specific structures that are underpinned by specific concepts. Yeah. And uh, it's important to, to think critically about what that really means um, and, and an opportunity for us to, I think, change a lot of that is is more present now than it has been. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like we're inherently swinging into a more, a world in which like <clears throat> everybody has their own economy that they bring to the conversation and i don't mean economy in a monetary sense i mean you know um a blending of so many bits and pieces we can pull together to create a new world and it's the fabric of all these economies coming together to do it is that what you think yeah i think um i would say that that's that's one possibility for sure for the future um I think, you know, right now there are multiple futures happening all at once and multiple mm -hmm. potentials. Yeah. But I think that's definitely one potential. And I would say, <clears> like, you know, let's call it, you know, call the spade a spade. And I will say that, like, yeah, it is an, an economy as a person, like one person, each individual having their own economic, like, system, economic framework, economic philosophy. Yeah. Um, that, you know, it's it's essentially what is possible is like essentially what I would say like an evolution of capitalism mm -hmm. um, 
an evolution of money, like our, the, the way we think about money, an evolution of a lot of different things. Um, which again, like the, the significance of the word concept, you know, really important as like creative yeah. people, I think we all understand like what a concept is, you know, you have some idea that's informed by some things that you think are interesting in the world. You know, you've observed a bunch of things yep. and you've taken that and asked the question that you're, you know, you have this concept and that concept guides, you know, the, the thing you create, you know, Absolutely. If it's in the form of one painting, then that's one object. But then it also extends itself to more systematic things like creating an album or creating a campaign, a marketing campaign for, for a brand, which is a, a system that's underpinned by a concept. Yeah. And that parallels things like economics. You know, capitalism is a system. Right. It manifests itself <laughs> physically, psychologically, um, biologically. Yeah, and it's underpinned by <laughs> concepts um, yeah. and philosophies to guide it, um, and that that came from you know the minds of human beings. So it's like, not out of, outside of the realm of possibility to think of a new concept. I mean, yeah. I think it came from Adam Smith, largely. It was a huge contributor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Like um, yeah. literally a book, you know, uh, wealth right. of nations. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Man, that's, that's, yeah, like, so it's, <laughs> it's so it's interesting. Somebody wrote, you know, it's like a, a person yeah. wrote a book. <laughs> yeah, that's like, and now, uh, and this, now, and yeah. now, you know, like, um, yeah. it's like, I mean, it's think like about that. the Bible, you know, the same thing, or any, any, many yeah. things we can think of where, you know, somebody wrote a thing that they thought, you know, which they thought was a good idea. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people grabbed onto it. And now we're where we are now. <laughs> and it's created worlds. Yeah. It's created worlds. Yes, it's created worlds. Absolutely. That's yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, it's so interesting because <clears throat> what I've been studying so much uh, during the pandemic is what I would say is like effectively how do you. Um, how to like design your energy so that you mm -hmm. are effectively creating the reality you're interested in seeing. And when I look mm -hmm. at the way that you're defining your practice as these tenets are synonymous and they're basically all rooted in narrative, which is what I, I think mm -hmm. I heard that clearly, did I? Mm -hmm. that yeah. it's like we're telling the story and the only reason things are the way they are is because we affirm a particular narrative over another one yes right absolutely yeah and it, it's so bizarre mm -hmm. because it's like on one level it seems absolutely so basic and simple it's like we'll change the narrative mm -hmm. but i think you're right that's like mm -hmm. what creative mm -hmm. people are doing they're like mm -hmm. our, yeah, dri our drive is to like create a new narrative and and hopefully it sticks. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and systems come from that. And, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think um, just says something really significant. But yeah, I I think uh, the idea of of changing the story um, is important. You know, America 
you know, I'll just say America as, sure. our, as a starting point, but that could extend for many places. But like America is in, in its entirety, it is a mythology. Um, yeah. It's a myth. Um, and depending on who you ask, the myth kind of might deviate or change a little bit, but generally we all kind of share the same understood mythology about America. Um, as a country, and that mythology is kind of baked into our dollar bills. You know, if I hand you a $5 bill, it's a social contract yes. um, based on a conceptual thing about what this, what the meaning of this thing is. Um, and, you know, the buildings that we inhabit, the streets that we walk down in their names, Jefferson Boulevard and all these things are all underpinned by this mythology that we, you know, are needed to keep telling each other and ourselves in order to make this whole thing continue to run. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, you know, once you look behind the curtain, behind the veil, and start to question history and who told it and why and what were they trying to impress upon your mind, and, you know, you start thinking about, you know, really whose reality you inhabit, um, right. whose language do you speak, and why do you speak it? You know, you start to sort of <laughs> get into some some precarious, but like very interesting. <laughs> I have a, a interesting question to piggyback on your precarious. Mm -hmm. uh, and be as vulnerable as you feel like you want to be. But do you ever do you feel if do you ever feel scared as you go into your work? Do you ever find encounters with fear as you're kind of playing with yeah. how to consider why things like the American myth has had the impact it's had on so many people's lives? And you're trying to kind of uncover that stuff, create a new world. I mean, stop, just talk about that for me for a little bit. Because I feel like when I look at yeah. your, your work, I see bravery, but I it's like, I feel like you're venturing into the void sometimes, you know? <laughs> what do you mean by that? That's interesting, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you've heard of the term like staring at the void, right? Like, mm -hmm. so there's this idea that like in the, maybe the only thing that's really there is that we're all occupying a great nothingness, you know, and mm. the realities <laughs> that we live with are the combination of what our subconscious continually habitually through pattern tells us, this is reality, this is reality, this is reality. But your comment on peeling back the veil, right? If you peel it back far enough, you, you get to a place of nothingness, like, and in mm -hmm. actuality, that's what we're occupying, <laughs> like, you know, and then we, and then we build from there, you know, so that's kind of what my question right. is. So do you find yourself sometimes a little spooked or scared as you pursue your work? Wow, <laughs> that's huge. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get into that. So the answer is yes, I definitely feel scared, um, for a few different reasons. Um, and on a few different levels, um, it's scary work. Um, there's a lot of unknowns and, 
you know, we live in this environment where it's very hard to trust anything. Yeah. Um, images can be manipulated to a degree that anything that you see that's not tangibly in front of you could be a complete hoax or sham. Yeah. Um, you know, we're connecting with people in a very different way that none of us are used to. We're all kind of like learning as we go with this whole communication thing, mm-hmm. um, which is, is tricky. Um, and then, yeah, once you continue to peel back those layers, this idea of nothingness, which I think is synonymous with everythingness, like I think yeah. at the same time. You, They're the same thing. You landed. Yeah. Right, exactly. <clears throat> um, but I think what I, I think that you do kind of confront that. And I think that something about that for me is very much connected to the way that I understand blackness mm. um, mm-hmm. as a concept is like, you know, I often talk to people about like our conversation about race. Yeah. And I think when I say blackness, it doesn't have to do it, just be that. But, but when I think about the, the conversation we have about race, I think we don't talk about it in depth. And I think that's a great way to, to speak about it is looking into the void. Um, because mm-hmm. when you talk about like people who have descended from enslaved people who over hundreds and hundreds of years have had their consciousness essentially disappeared and replaced with yes. something else. Yeah. Um, what is that something else? Like, what does that mean? You know, you know, like right now I'm, I'm using a language that's not mine. And that's like something that I say over and over yeah, to people yeah. as, because it's, it's so like, the implications of that are so large that like what's embedded in me is something that comes from all of these other places. And as you try to dig for what I think is you, and I think anybody can have that experience, whether you have descended from slaves, enslaved Africans in America or not, you do get to this place where um, there it could could be termed as the void or like nothingness, mm. um, which I think like you know parallels so many things like the way we understand might understand blackness, the way you might understand the internet. Um, yep. Like I, I sometimes joke with people about like a meme that I find or something that I like found it in the back of the internet. You know, <laughs> yeah. thinking about the internet as a, you know, space. As yeah. a physical space, like what yeah. happens when you get to the basement of that space? Like what's in the, in the dark closet at the bottom yeah. of the internet? And, yeah. Um, it's kind of that same, <laughs> the same place. Um, so yeah, that's it. I do feel scared a lot about that. Um, you know, are you, you know, you, you have to think that you, you know, you have a mind, like you could be losing it, like, you know, definitely. there's yeah. no way to know really, there's not really a lot of concrete ways to know exactly what's going on all the time, but we can do our best, I suppose. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, how did you evolve to the point where this is, this is what your practice has become about? Um, because you've been you've been at it. Did you say about ten years? And for anybody listening, I, I feel bad. I didn't even introduce the name of your practice. 
It's uh, <laughs> the Young Never Sleep um, studio. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I should say that. And I'd love to zoom into that in a little bit. But, you know, how did you get here? Um, I don't I, I don't think I've like changed much at all over the okay. last several years Have um, you, when I really reflect on it. But I are you I giving yourself that, like, more permission? <laughs> um, I think I'm I'm making use of like some different tools. Okay. Now, which which that is definitely different. And then I think that like I'm trying to trying to really understand like what what relationships need to look like now not just mm -hmm. for me individually but just like generally like you know we all have like multiple consciousness we have one with a, within ourselves or maybe multiple within ourselves we have multiple that we share with other people that might be different depending on who it is mm -hmm. we have a consciousness that we share with the nation yeah like a national consciousness a global consciousness mm -hmm. we have a consciousness that's in part online in the digital space. Mm -hmm. um, Ray Kurzweil, the futurist, talks a lot about that, you know, how we've essentially um, kind of ported part of ourselves on to digital devices. Um, part of your memory is stored in the cloud, like your literal memories, yeah. you know, which is a part of who you are, you know, all these yeah. things like um, in many ways we're becoming in some ways more compartmentalized in other ways more dimensional mm -hmm. and, and more multifaceted so like what does that do to your brain like what, what effect does it have on your mind um it's just all really interesting uh, so yeah i think i've the tools have changed quite a bit over the years i think the way i relate to the tools is, is definitely changing like i don't think i've ever thought about technology and I'm just using technology because I think it's it's topical, but sure. I've never thought about technology in depth and in this kind of context, which mm. I think has like radically changed the way I consider not just technology, but like <clears throat> a lot of different things. <laughs> mm. yeah. Fascinating. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, it. it's, it's a, it's, it's the beginning of a very, well, maybe not the beginning. It's also part of a larger dialogue that I, I think when you say like noticing what tools are available to you and noticing where relationships and intersections really occur and where conscious, various consciousness in, intersect, you know, is, is it, it's still a very fascinatingly like human, endeavor um mm -hmm. i think in some ways that like asking these questions about like on a micro and macro level why do i think what i think why do i prefer what i prefer what what mm -hmm. can i do about what i would prefer instead <laughs> you know like yeah totally yeah. that's beautiful um <clears throat> yeah it gives you the opportunity to like kind of try
try to step outside of yourself or like at least in different parts of yourself Mm -hmm. um, and connect to different people in, I think, new ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we found, found that happening online in really early days, like, Oh yeah. Not really early, but early for me, like, you know, the days of like MySpace where, or like early internet where everybody's website just looked like a complete mess or like was like <laughs> very specific, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just like you saw that consciousness like laid bare um, in real time. Um, but I think over time that has been sort of absorbed, mm. which is interesting. Um, yeah. Like when you look at like something like Instagram, it's not, I'm not going to say Instagram is the devil. It's just like a thing that, that exists, right? Know, has its pros and cons. Um, but one way to look at Instagram is like as labor, you know, as, as labor mm. and as something that relies on human capital in order to uh, maintain itself and maintain mm. the people who work there and sort of give us all kind of what we need from Instagram or from Snapchat or from Twitter or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's pretty interesting, all of, all of that. Um, but I will say like, it's important to also, you know, like I was having a conversation about the universe like being a hologram. <laughs> yeah. You know, with yeah. I've had that conversation with a couple people, which is like I think you and I have had that conversation. <laughs> We've had that conversation. We've before. had that conversation. Um, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Definitely. Um I've had it with a yeah, a few people here and there, like, you know, Rick and Morty, which is funny. They mm. dig into that a little bit in yeah. an episode. And like, um, a lot of a lot of kind of different reference points about the nature of reality and what that means yeah and like at a certain point you do have to say like okay if the universe is a hologram then like so what you know like all right yeah the universe is a hologram yeah. you know I, it still hurts when things happen to me <laughs> like you know yeah like, yeah all of these things in real life that like it doesn't matter if you know if it's a hologram or not it still has an effect on you yeah. So I think it has to be balanced with like a sense of like, okay, like what matters about these questions and mm-hmm. what doesn't, or like what can we actually act on and impact and like use to to change our circumstance um, versus what's just like, you know, kind of distracting. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. All important, all important questions. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I guess my thought on it is like. Um, I don't try to use the knowledge to uh, take validation away from anyone's immediate experience. I think about it more along the lines of like, if you are aware that the universe is a hologram, the benefit to that knowledge is that maybe you have the ability to like, keep things moving, change things. Like nothing's Mm -hmm. just like done, set, period. Like if you really look, yeah. (laughs) And I like that because basically what it means is you live in like infinite potential. There's always somewhere else something can go, it can expand. And that's, I've always found that very liberating, Mm -hmm. you know, especially as like a creative person, you know, but yeah. Yeah. 
it definitely puts creativity in a different realm. Yes. Um, that creativity, which I think is so, it's so, I think kind of obvious in the way that our social arrangement operates where creativity is, you know, unless it, it's like being capitalized in any significant way is kind of positioned as like, you know, the poor person's kind of space to occupy. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's something that's like frivolous or whatever. Um, but I think that like, it's something that's central to being human. I do too. Um, and then, you know, when we talk about interdisciplinary and like, you know, what that really means, which is also central to being human, then that means that like, you as a creative person being in touch with that can impact any realm of thought or any industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, yeah, like the possibilities are, are different. It can be opened up to you. It's like creative is what you are because you're alive. Mm-hmm. Creative is not something you do. It's just you mm-hmm. are, you yeah. are, you know? <laughs> It's not a job title. Yeah. It's not a job. Yeah. It's not a job title. And it's, it shouldn't even, I don't think it should be like an identity mark even necessarily. Sometimes I think yeah. it's like, agree. you yeah. know, if you are making decisions, taken as a given, really. it's a given. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if you engage in any decision-making, you're also by default creative. You're, <laughs> you're creative. Yeah. And you're speculating like everybody speculates. Like, absolutely you have to do, you have to speculate in order to survive yeah absolutely um, it's a very like fundamental trait um mm-hmm. like you know if you are a, a gazelle in a in in the savanna and like something's rustling in the bushes your mind is speculating about what that could be is it a lion or is it like another baby gazelle <laughs> and based on that speculation <laughs> yeah you make a decision you know? <laughs> absolutely like that's creativity um yeah so you have to adapt and survive based on that so it's it's very like base Mm -hmm. that's important Mm -hmm. that's beautiful so you um you you've been working at snap and you just finished on friday jumping back into a job title (laughs) (laughs) um so what were you, I mean, and totally, I don't know what arrangement you have with Snap, so share whatever you feel like, but um, what were you engaged in uh, working for them? Um, well, when I first kind of started, um, I was invited in by a guy, Andrew McPhee, who was the product lead at Snap. Um, one of the product leads. Uh, he's an inventor and really smart, smart dude. He he uh, had this company scene that was, I think, bought by Snap, and they kind of developed that 3D scanning technology oh, nice. that you used to you know, put the face filters on your face and all of that stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. So I was invited in by him and into the spectacles part of the company, which is essentially like the hardware. <laughs> Okay. Of Snap. Okay. Um, Snap Lab, uh, mm-hmm. which is which makes spectacles. Um, so I was I was brought in to work on spectacles, and I, I was brought in I think under the kind of pretext of being art director. Mm-hmm. Um, but realized very quickly that like you know this is a very 
new, new thing, and there's a lot of, like, structure and things and systems that, like, didn't exist and needed to be built. Um, but over time, like, those things started to happen and mm-hmm. get integrated, but it's definitely a long journey and definitely a roller coaster. Yeah. Um, but I was surrounded by incredibly brilliant, brilliant people, like, you know, literal, like, rocket scientists, like, these people. Yeah. Um, come from, you know, eyewear industry, like huge, like names come from, you know, like Lockheed Martin and all these different places, mm-hmm. Google, Apple, really smart people. And like working alongside them was just fascinating. And I grew like quite a lot from, from that. Uh, mm. you, you know, it was very, very challenging. Like the last four years has definitely yeah. been like a crucible wow. of sorts. Um, but uh, yeah, at the end of my tenure, or like over over the course of my time there, I really worked on you know just about everything you can think of related to that business and growing it. Because we are so small, you know, I was involved in you know strategic conversations around the company and products, um, around like design not only in terms of visuals, but in terms of like products and features. Um, it literally, you know, run the gambit of different yeah. things that, that I was involved in there. So I actually just looked at my LinkedIn recently. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like what my that, job title was. That thing. I what my job title was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that old thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh my title was just designer i guess I, I changed it a while back and i guess you know i i think that is actually good enough of, of a title to kind yeah. of summarize what i did there i was a designer yeah um, i designed everything from from like you know traditional like okay help design or design this website or design graphics for this thing to like you know literally facilitating the design of systems and yeah you know, yeah uh, yeah designing some of the vision for the future where the where the product could go. So mm-hmm. deeply involved in a lot of, of that work. So it was a good experience overall. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. And um and you still maintain the young never sleep in addition to that role, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's I mean, yeah, it's been uh like I said <laughs> the crucible the crucible yeah (laughs) it's um so yeah i mean holding down this very very um demanding full-time job but at the same time i was you know freelancing and still you know during that time i i I did work for postmates i did work for hbo for dolby yep um did work for some some places in atlanta supremo yeah um other you know, uh, so like during that time, still doing this freelance work um, on the side, and it's really interesting because like that's directly connected to this this question around multiple consciousness. Because um, over that time, I really did develop, and I think that's informing a lot of my work now. I developed this, I think, a, a, a consciousness that understood there were really important revolutionary things happening on the west coast in this really unique la tech space which is very different from san francisco i lived in san francisco for a little while 
mm. with interacting with the tech there. And it's very different from my experience at Snap. The, the philosophy, the character of the way tech is approached there was a lot different and a lot more attractive to me and mm. still is. But this consciousness of that ecosystem versus the consciousness of the Atlanta ecosystem where, you know, I'm really close to people who are just like having very different experiences and, mm, mm. you know, the language around how we build experiences. And so we're sort of speaking the same language, you know, from one city to the other city or from one realm of work to the other work. We're talking about concepts. We're talking about philosophies. We're talking about yeah. money. Yeah. Our relationship to it, but they're happening in very different ways. And like, the approaches and thinking is very different. Mm -hmm. So over time, what's happened is that I've been essentially trying to bring them closer together. Because I realized that like, the people on the left side of the coast, you know, really need <laughs> the people on the right side, you know, that in Atlanta and vice versa, like there's a, con a connection there that like, is really important and needs to happen. Yeah. Um, in order for us all to like be, I think, in a different space and for the technology to be different um, and for the way that we think about technology to be different. Uh, we all need to kind of be at the table together talking. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> I'm probably going to put a pin in that a little bit because I want to dedicate a good portion of this to the conversation around Atlanta and certainly mm -hmm. its relationship to LA and your particular experience. Mm -hmm. So we'll get into that. Um, so you, you just recently um, finished your work at Snap. Um, what is the future looking like right now? What do you, are you just strictly doing Young Never Sleep or what's new? Um, yeah, I think that, um, I'm going to try my hardest to take a little bit of a break. <laughs> <laughs> I deserve that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also I know myself and I'm, you know, just very like. Next thing picks a, up. Yeah. Never ending fire burning in, in me. So I'm going to keep doing stuff. Um, I have you know, a lot of work over the past few years that I have done as sort of case studies uh, mm -hmm. kind of related to the future, um, or like the, the sort of products and things that, and experiences that I would like to bring to life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, communion, which is something that we have discussed over the years, um, which is, you know, kind of a, a a small seed of like a very large, a much larger idea yeah. around multiple different systems that, that could be like integrated to benefit the everyday person. Um, what I've been doing over the last few years is like, I think like building those case studies. Mm. And then what I plan to do in the more near future is put those case studies in context and then mm try to on an individual level really see how much of this like vision for the future I can create obviously in concert with other people but I think like something important about 
it happening on a very small level um, in order, I think, to prove out a few different things. So I'm still going to be experimenting and <laughs> trying to see what I can make happen. Um, and this is like making augmented reality experiences. Um, it's trying to think through new systems and how they can work, like different workflows mm -hmm. um, and how they can kind of benefit people to streamline uh, different like processes, um, what new platforms would look like in the digital and physical space. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of different sort of pockets of, of thoughts and work to do here. <laughs> it's, yeah. really, it's really vague it's really vague right <laughs> yeah um yeah i empathize a little bit because of you know forming practice makes practice has i've gone through some of the same vagueness at times because it's really a desire to connect and build community around certain conversations but it sometimes just always stays very abstract in my mind about how mm -hmm. it's really going to work, mm -hmm. you know? Um, <laughs> so you're, it's almost like you're <laughs> yeah, trying totally. to, you know, develop these like streams and little side pockets of like how it kind of activates here and it activates here and it activates here, you know, and you hope. Yeah, absolutely. The sum of all the parts lead to something that feels right, you know? Yes. Yeah. Beneficial. Absolutely. To yeah so. yeah because i think i mean i i definitely see like a lot of potential um like every industry has essentially been Im impacted by digital mm -hmm. connection by the information age by digital currency um every industry has been impacted by not just COVID 19 but several different types of global um shift change unrest whatever you want to call it yeah every industry has been impacting like impacting impacted by those things and like a lot of industries are looking for ways to stabilize which is essentially remain adaptive or like nomadic which i think is a good word mm -hmm. with, because that because that helps you be prepared for change that might happen very quickly yeah um as just a philosophy and a, an approach so like digital currency very much like adopts that kind of philosophy um so when it comes to what kind of what i'm doing like there's a lot of opportunity in, in augmented reality gaming um additive manufacturing 3d printing um really anything that is is in part relying on digital transfer of information um on local levels, like local global levels, mm -hmm. um, is going to be pretty important uh, to tap into. So my work is really going to be thinking about how to integrate these things um, and kind of prove out systems that can work for individuals to create their own worlds, economies, slash, slash, slash. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, What motivated you to name your studio The Young Never Sleep? Um, I think I just like, I forget when I did that. I was 
quite a long time ago. But I think it's just because I stay up late. <laughs> Word. <laughs> I love it. You're like, <laughs> literally. keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I never get any sleep. So that's it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that was my big question was like, you know, it, now that you're not at Snap, do you feel like you're going to try to spend a little bit more time working on getting some sleep? <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know. Uh, maybe. 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 So. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so let's talk. I kind of do want to jump into it. Let's talk about your viewpoint on Atlanta. Um, mm -hmm. How is Atlanta special to you? And I, I have a lot of questions surrounding it, um, but some of your work, let's start with this actually, uh, race, sexuality, gender, and technology in Atlanta. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts surrounding those intersections and what is it about Atlanta specifically that you may or may not feel is a good platform to begin um, doing more work in, in those intersections? Hmm. It's um, a big question. Mm -hmm. I think that a few different things. So for me, like as an individual, I'm like, like deeply American. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I grew up in the Midwest you know, in Cleveland, you know, sort of like steel town, very much like industry mm -hmm. um, stuff. Like uh, when you think of a four factory in suburbia, you know, that's, that's like Cleveland. Um, my, my, my roots are in Alabama. Um, that's where my people come from. Um, and I, you know, spent time in the South. I lived in Douglasville, Georgia for a while, lived in Montgomery, Alabama. A little mm. town like called Mill Millbrook, <laughs> Millbrook, Alabama, for a little bit, okay. um, before coming to Atlanta, uh, and then have been back and forth a little bit in between. So lived in Atlanta for almost ten years, mm -hmm. um, and then moved to the West Coast and lived in San Francisco slash Oakland for about two years, and then LA now for four years. Okay. So have kind of been like in some different pockets of the country, and I think they're all like very it's, it's just interesting to have that context of just like having lived in yeah kind of all these different places in the country um and i think atlanta there's a lot of different interesting things about atlanta atlanta is like a nexus of just like international international um connection and like international um trade, commerce, dialogue, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, Atlanta as a place where, you know, you have the, the foundation of things like Freaknik. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Super important. Like this, yes. You know, sexually charged kind of energy that's always coursing through. Um, you know, the, the queer culture in Atlanta is, is, is really unique mm -hmm. that it's embedded in the South. Um, you know, the racial kind of dimension of Atlanta, again, you know, it's, it's, it's like city in the South, kind of a beacon. Yep. Um, and the complexity of race, it, it 
kind of sits on the surface mm-hmm. and the complexity of class. You know, I think one thing that I said before and I've sort of seen undercurrents of this more recently is like how critical it is that if there is going to be some sort of, I think, revolutionary shift, maybe even in just the way that we talk about race, um, Mm. I think it would need to happen in the South because that's essentially where it was born. Like that's where the country was born. Um, Mm -hmm. It was born in the South, really. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because, you know, the, America is really like underpinned by its economic philosophy and its economic mm. philosophy started in the South and like it's, yeah. it's rooted in enslavement. Mm-hmm. Um, so America's consciousness is a consciousness that is rooted in enslavement and in genocide. So I think that like um, Atlanta is super dimensional and complex and I think it's really important place um, where you have giant companies that exist, Coca-Cola, um, Home Depot, Delta, <laughs> you know, yeah. just like yeah. Titans uh, sitting in the city um, where you also have Magic City, you know, and it's like, yes, yes. you know, it, when we think about like, okay, like <laughs> <laughs> when you think about <laughs> the South and like what the ancestry and heritage of our mythology is yeah and that it's rooted in genocide rooted in enslavement like slavery as an institution and then you think about you know atlanta being this hub for sex trafficking and oh my gosh yeah you know this huge you know industry around sex but also these like very, very large industries like Delta, like, you know, Coca-Cola and all these, these titans of business happening. Um, And when you start like, you know, thinking about present day Atlanta and like thinking about the, the history of just the South in general and like what is mixing together (laughs) in those things or how things evolve, like how to literally how does slavery evolve? I, guess, I think that's an important question. How mm. does slavery evolve? Mm. So when you start to like ask that question and look at the present like social kind of constructs, it makes sense, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That things the way are the way they are. You know, I think you look at Atlanta and I see like, I see kind of a window to the future in Atlanta in a way that I haven't seen. Like I, I live in San Francisco, right? Right, would right. I think that like, this is Silicon Valley, like you're in the belly of the beast, like this is the future, right? And I did see a window into the future in San Francisco, but it like, (laughs) it wasn't, (laughs) I will say like, uh, there's a, yeah, Atlanta is like this window to the future. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't complete your- Critically important to think about it. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, my- San Francisco is an interesting place. Yeah, I um, yeah, I feel like uh, I am. I haven't been to San Francisco in like four years or five years. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's weird energy. I feel like it's eating itself or something. I don't really know. Definitely, yeah, and yeah, and all of our cities are really all of 
everywhere in America really is. But, but San Francisco, I think like it's a beautiful place. And I think like there is a window to the future there because like people are bumping up against a lot of hard surfaces mm-hmm. in ways that like I never experienced anywhere else. Like I grew up in, in Cleveland in the city, like, um, I've seen you know, poverty lived around poverty. Yeah. Um, but I think in San Francisco, because of its density, like I hadn't experienced such poverty and such wealth in proximity to one another in such an extreme way before mm. living in San Francisco. Mm. Like living in Millbrook, Alabama, you know, you know, you see the af- aftermath of enslavement there. Like you, I've seen like poverty on, yeah. in, in a really, really deep level in that place. Yeah. Um, but in San Francisco, I saw that same poverty bumped up against just extreme wealth in mm. a way I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, kind of traumatizing for lack of a better word. I imagine. A little traumatizing. I imagine. Yeah. And such like, you know, such brilliance, quote unquote, sort of people dreaming up fantastical things, but like practical problems just like not being solved, you know, and and that that happening in the same place at the same time. That's so wild. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So in what ways do you see Atlanta, Atlanta's window to the future differently than San Francisco's window? Um, I think that like, I think it has a lot to do with like the texture um, of the people in Atlanta. Mm. Um, Just personally, like I am just connected to a lot of different kinds of people. And I think like Atlanta, I will say, I'm not sure if it's because of the time that I spent there or what, um, but I think it has a, a more, it's more than just that. Atlanta, I will say, is probably the most, like, diverse and integrated city that mm. I've lived in. Yeah. Um, and I felt some of that, like, when I lived in Oakland. Yeah. I feel that a little bit in L.A. Um, but in Atlanta, I felt this integration, like, you know, I saw it in a way that, like, I hadn't, I, I hadn't experienced it in a, any other city. So wow. I think that the stories that we tell because of that look radically different. Um, like Bonton, you know, we worked on together, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, that's a great example of that. Like, the story that Bonton holds inside of it because of all of these different people that cross in and out of it and because of kind of what we built and, like, where it all came from it looks so different than a lot of other things. And there's so much more of that, you know, I think of zoo. I think oh yeah. In, in like the original, yeah. Zoo and, uh, you know, people like Nico and, and Bosco and mm-hmm. yourself and Supremo, Sierra Tavana, like all these people. And it's like, it, 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 to me, it's like, if I look into the future or at least one future that seems exciting and I look at like, you know, we've seen movies of like City of the Future and like there are all these people and like 
you know, it looks so fantastic and interesting. And like, you can tell that like, it's really a global village. Like mm-hmm. you really have like, everybody really has like meshed all together now. And like, everything's crazy. Like everybody is just wearing all this radical, crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause all the cultures have just merged and like, you don't even know what's going on. Like <laughs> I haven't even actually seen that before. Like I've seen some like attempts at it, but really it's like, okay, most of the people are still fucking white, but like, all right 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 (laughs) yeah yeah but like when i think about that and i think about that future when i when i walk back from that future 10 20 100 years 200 years i see atlanta i see like a foggy like image of atlanta today Mm. Mm. you know oh man that's so beautiful Yeah. Yeah. Like, can't you see it? Like, you can see oh, that. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, absolutely. Like, okay. Like, once the coastline moves in because climate change has fucked everything up. Yep. And once, like, you yeah. know, the yep. city has, like, collapsed and, like, some people have maybe rebuilt it. I don't know. But, like, eventually you move up to this point 100 years in the future, 500 years in the future. And it's like, oh, shit. Like, that came from this little place called Atlanta that burned down, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. three times you know they finally burned it down again yeah some other people rebuilt it yeah <laughs> so that's like yeah. that's a story right that we could tell ourselves um and magic and now it's called magic city yes uh, yeah yeah that's good. <laughs> right like, yeah so right like, it's there it's there yeah all the raw material is really there and it's so exciting i know um so that's kind of, that's where my head is a better way to, I think, maybe phrase a lot of that stuff I was talking about before is like, I really do want to work on like storytelling over yeah. in, the, in the more near future and like, yeah, storytelling, I think. Yeah. And like, I think that that can, that can impact a lot of stuff and I invite people to, te- to be storytellers too. Um, and, you know, when we think about things like an individual economy or, you know, people world building and all this other stuff, just a storyteller um if you're a living breathing human being if you um are alive then you are storytelling um because you as an individual you have your story and you carry stories into your own and you know you're you're doing all of that all all that stuff is synonymous Um, so that's what i'm going to be working on in the future that's that's so beautiful that's so brilliant um you keep saying that and it's like but i it's true to me because everything started in oral tradition i mean more or less you know Uh, absolutely yeah at some point there was consciousness arrived and our consciousness was like oh my gosh we're in these bodies and then Mm -hmm. and then we started telling stories (laughs) i mean it's like basically to me how it probably parsed out and like um and that's really never stopped. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because absolutely. Without a story, we don't exist. It's it's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Um, it. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty big so, stuff. It's pretty big stuff. Um, yeah. How do you feel about specifically the design scene or design culture in Atlanta? Do you see room for growth there? And in what ways could the design culture in Atlanta be more of a leader 
than a than necessarily a follower. Mm. I very much think that Atlanta. I mean, because of what we all talked about. Mm-hmm. About uh, well, rather, what we just talked about. Um, I think Atlanta is in a leadership position mm. when it comes to design. But I think what is important for, I think, you know, not just creatives, but all of us, you know, anybody who cares about that city um, yeah. or the city in which they live is to, like, put into a new context what leadership means. Okay. That was a conversation that we had about leading. Yeah. What, are, what leadership means, how it looks, um, and, you know, what, you know, what it means to be a part of, of that, because I think Atlanta is in a leadership position. Um, and I think that, like, you just have to be looking at it, I think, from the right angle. <laughs> yeah. Know? I think that's yeah. really important. You need to be looking at it from the right angle, for sure. That's, that's beautiful. Do you have any tangible examples how you feel Atlanta is actually a leader? specifically with regard to design? Um, yeah, I think like, yeah, I would, I would say, um, Jay Sport and what he has, mm. has been building, um, as an example that, um, I would say people like Nicole Hernandez um, is an example of that leadership, her thinking and approach to a lot of her photography work mm-hmm. and really capturing the world of women, like really like inviting us into this world, to this inner world of, of women is like super important work, really critical. I think um, Jesse Pratt Lopez, trans latinx oh my god like visionary um i have some of her photographs (laughs) oh Um, nice because this this is like critical work and really really important work um and we talk about like transness and transness and it's it's um impact on the his on the evolution of the way you relate to the internet like that's a huge conversation. Like, please yeah. dig into that. <laughs> Anybody <laughs> yes. listening who hasn't, like, dig into that. So for Jesse to be like archiving the lived experiences of these people who essentially like um, have are ushering in a new way to to interact with the digital space and have done this in so many different ways. When like COVID first hit, like all these parties were happening online. The queer kids led that. Yeah, yeah. Um, When we talk about like digital currency, like you know, the markets that have adopted most quickly to digital currencies are in the global south and primarily in Africa, Mm. South America. Mm -hmm. Um, And that relationship is a direct one-to-one with people in cities like Atlanta who essentially live in a third world, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Not to say that all countries in places in Africa are third world because they're absolutely not. I want to get that wrong. But when you talk about like 
things needing to evolve and like, you know, when things evolve, there's a lot of times it's based on need. And mm-hmm. if there's a lack of infrastructure, the people who adapt quickly are able to survive. Um, yeah. And th- that's where innovation comes from. <laughs> like real innovation comes from that. Um, a lot of places across Africa never had, for example, telecommunications infrastructure, like telephone lines and things like that. That, that, was, that infrastructure was never built. So I always kind of reference the example, because of that, they actually leapfrog the United States and a lot of European countries in mobile telecommunications. Mm. So they adopted mobile and mobile currency before we did, like before Venmo, like they were already doing digital transactions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that parallels a lot of the experiences of individuals who might be you know, living on the street or having like very difficult like living experiences. Um, that's where innovation a lot of times happens. Um, and that's where like a lot of, I think, I would say like the focus around what technology can and needs to be should start in these spaces and is, is happening in these spaces. So Atlanta, for a lot of different reasons, um, Zoo, I think, is a great example of that. And their their philosophy when they first started shows up in a lot of their work. Yeah. Um, it's a great example. Like, you just visit their website, and you can plainly see that they have eyes on the future. And are oh, future yeah, for sure. Space, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and I think things like, you know, things like the Beltline, um, as, you know, as what it is, like, it's still, like, there are these these little moments where like you know we can see glimpses of like leadership happening yeah um, and part of it is because of a lack of infrastructure part mm-hmm. of it is like understanding the flaws in the infrastructure that's already in place like the highway system in atlanta the urban urban planning and design in atlanta mm-hmm. like not ideal no um, <laughs> because it's not ideal people find new ways um like I've, you know, I've heard about like kids having parties like under freeways, yeah. freeway overpasses. Which is beautiful. Which is like beautiful. Yeah. Which is beautiful. On one hand, it's like, like what? Like, okay, that's weird. But on another hand, it's like, okay, a party under in in a highway overpass, or people who are building, you know, setting up tents underneath the highway overpass. Yeah. How does that evolve? Ten years, twenty years, a hundred years from now, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what does that turn into? over time what does that city look like after that's happened a lot over time yeah. like where could that lead <laughs> it, it lands you in some interesting places um so yeah and, and like innovative urban solutions there's a designer that we've right. done a little bit of work with before called carly rickles do you know who that is mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and um, and she is really big in sort of examining some of the questions that you just brought up in terms of how is space being used in Atlanta? How can it be used in more, mm-hmm. you know, like there's designers like that that are yeah. here starting to do that work. And I think it's yeah. so exciting, you know? And I think one thing with talking about the design culture in Atlanta that I think is different from other cities is the crazy beautiful mishmash of uh, culture, tech, 
urbanism. Yeah, yeah. It's like there's so many interesting pathways going over each other because there's, you know, yeah. like having like Georgia Tech here too is like pumping out some really yeah. research. Totally. I mean, you know, stuff like that. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, really like, you know, one thing that's critically important and will, and will make all the difference in my mind is like bringing the right people to the table so that like the problems that we're looking at solving are, are really an inter coming from an intersectional lens. Yes. And it's like, you have all the raw materials there. You have like this, you know, there's like a sex work economy there. Yep. There's these like giant corporations. There's like this really thriving like cultural like queer scene. You have a homeless population. Um, you have things like you know the Beltline and the trolley system on Edgewood. Mm -hmm. um, there's all these different like pockets of like what I would just say like plainly is innovation pockets of innovation. Yep. All of them on an equal playing field. Um, like the homeless encampment under. You know, this interstate highway is, is just as innovative as some like think tank in Coca-Cola. Yep. Like they're all level. And yep. if, you know, you can get more of those groups like connecting and sitting at the table together and trying to figure things out, then I think you've got like some interesting stuff that can happen. Yeah. Um, we got to like, I think, dissipate some preconceived notions about not just ourselves, but like what it really means to impact and like you know, what innovation looks like, who can be a speculator, who can be speculative. <laughs> yeah. I think it's important to challenge. Um, yeah. That's rad. Um, well, I feel like we've been having a really, really rich conversation. Is there anything you feel like you'd like to bring up that you've, that we haven't talked about that you've been thinking about a lot lately or that you would want our listeners to start considering um i think the food fridges is another example oh, i saw one <laughs> i saw one to the today yeah. the the free yeah. yeah that was started by yeah free food Mac fridge. Yeah. yeah um for anyone mm -hmm. that's not in atlanta will you explain what that is brandon so they understand yeah so I've seen this in a few different cities, New York, Oakland, other places, but like, I don't remember the exact name of the one group in Atlanta, but essentially um, they set up these uh, free food fridges. It's just like a refrigerator outside has an electrical source plugged in and like some storage next to it where they just keep it supplied with free food and people come up and, and take the food and you know, whoever needs it available um because that to me is like that's that's amazing innovation. yeah <laughs> like, it is yeah um and you could think about ways that they could expand you know that that could like evolve and how it could grow um like um just thinking about like if there's a you know natural power source that's powering those fridges um, there's an opportunity to like prepare the food for people who um, don't have access to the means to prepare it. Um, a lot of different things that that could turn into, I think. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting, it's a cool project. 
really important work. Yeah. It's a really cool project. And the one that I saw today was um, basically attached to a restaurant, which I think is even mm. more interesting because I think, uh, yeah, totally. you know, that, and that's something to bring up too. I think that the food cultural culture in general in Atlanta is a very, very special one. Mm. I've always felt that. It is. I agree. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Agree. <laughs> um, and and yeah. I say that almost coming from like the attitude of the food culture, like the way that restaurants to me are like, they are arbiters of culture here, but they also tend to do sometimes Absolutely. some of the best social work I've ever seen can come out Absolutely. of a restaurant. Yeah, like, I agree. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's actually a great, great point. Yeah. I think of, um, Maricela, uh -huh. um, who's, who's that eight arm, like, wow, Jesus, like, she is like a Titan. She's totally, she does so much social work and like yep. makes incredible food. And like, yeah, that's so true. Like that is a huge connection in Atlanta between this sort of social work and these restaurants and not just it, not just being like, you know, a performative sort of thing. Like they really take it seriously and understand the impact of that. Um, and I think food is just like a baseline. It's like, you know, if you want to start changing something, yeah. You know, another reason why the South again is like, is really important. I think if you want to start changing something, like, you know, you can start on somebody's plate, you know, it's like you got it. way to start shifting narrative, whatever it is, is on somebody's plate. Um, yeah, it, it says so much about consciousness of you know, the food. Like when we think about comfort food in America, you know, like it's southern what food. We usually think about. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's definitely you know, for the most part. Yeah, know, yeah. Nine times out of ten, you're talking about southern food, and when you're talking about southern food, you're talking about something that a, a slave probably made. Yep. Um, so when you talk about what is comforting for the nation, what's comforting, you know. Mm -hmm. it, it says a lot. It reveals a lot. So when we talk about what, you know, how to influence change, um, I think, you know, food is a great place to start. It's a great place to start. <laughs> great place to start, you know, and, um, mm -hmm. and I mean, I know that you and I both have actually done a lot of specifically design work for restaurants here. And I think that's the mm -hmm. thing that always, I always love, uh, I love getting involved in doing restaurant design work just because of that. I love connecting mm -hmm. with what are they going to do? And I've, I've seen restaurants just benefit the city so much, especially during times of Absolutely. panic yeah. and crisis and mm -hmm. all of it, you know, I mean, it's just beautiful, yeah. beautiful. So, and Absolutely. It's also one of the more creative spaces too. I mean, that's where a lot of mm -hmm. creative activation comes out is in food culture. Absolutely. You know, yeah, which I absolutely. also find interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think like the stories that get told through those restaurants. Um, oh my gosh. It's huge. Like, yeah. And they, they have, they have such an impact on communities. Um, and you know, become like, for a lot of people, like reassurance and uh, the, you know, stabilizing force in people's lives, like knowing that you can, you know, you can count on that taco from Supremo, like, okay, oh, like, yeah. like a minor thing, but like, 
you know, in the grand scheme of things, like when things get really chaotic and like you, if you know, you can count on like even this one little thing, like it makes a world of difference. And like Mm -hmm. that extending out to like dozens and dozens of people, like that becomes really important and starts to change things. So yeah, I think you can't really understate the value of food restaurants Um, and the people who are like doing that, that work on the ground, like Oh yeah. I mean, I want to, I want to give a shout out to Supremo and your work on Supremo. Um, I mean, very, very quickly, I feel like overnight they have become such a powerful cultural bastion on Memorial. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they're now they're doing like movie nights. Now they're doing, it's just, it's brought the community so much. And like, what? How long have they been opening? Mm-hmm. Has it even been a year? I maybe. How long have they been open? I, I think yeah, it's like a, a year. I think it is about a year. Yeah. Yeah. Not long. Not, not long, <laughs> man. Not long. Yeah. And not only do I love what they've done, in terms of just, uh, sort of the bringing sort of the narrative of what drives that restaurant in particular, um, which features. Mm-hmm the immigrant community very well, Uh, Mm -hmm. but also just innovative use of space, like how they chose to occupy that particular Mm -hmm. building, a little sliver of a building, you know, and how people have rallied around that and then embracing, you know, parking lot culture in Atlanta. Um, I'm becoming more interested in how we can use parking lots in ways that aren't just for parking lots. Like, let's have, Yep. You know, Very more, more yeah. fun on a parking lot. <laughs> but, yeah. um, well, that's beautiful. Um, well, this has been a really good conversation. I, um, <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> always, always. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anything else you feel like bringing up? think so mm, check out my website yeah um, please check you know, out you guys, <laughs> the org. yes um, yeah and you break your work into research experiments and projects at this point on the site yeah. is that correct mm-hmm. okay yeah, at this point, so, yeah. yeah that's right yeah i should definitely say going through your research for anybody listening is one of the most enlightening experiences you can probably take um You've, oh, thanks. Wow. Um, <laughs> yo, seriously. I mean, what you what you've curated <laughs> over time is it's its own library, uh, really. And thanks. You, I'm trying to make it better and better all the time. So any suggestions, anybody is welcome. I'm really <laughs> trying to figure out a way to make it like more accessible and like easy to navigate and things. So I welcome all feedback. <laughs> um. Well, beautiful. Well. Thank you for spending time with us, Brandon. Um, uh, and thank you, listeners, for, for checking in. Yeah. Um, catch you all next time. <laughs>
and influence some of his work. Uh, so please enjoy this extra segment to our interview and uh, we will catch you on the other side. You're out in California, um, and I know you have a lot of people you've worked with out in California, a lot of collaborators and friends and people you really care about. Um, what's what's going on with those people, those relationships right now? Um, so yeah, like, all right, I'm, I'm glad that we're, ha- we're having the opportunity to do this. I really appreciate it. Um, so yeah, I, I wanna try to go chronologically a little bit um, and just preface by saying that like, the experience of just like living in Cali up to now has been like so dynamic and like impactful um, for me in so many different ways and contributed to so much growth that I just think it's important to at least, you know, touch on some of that uh, in in as many conversations as I can. Um, So originally (laughs) um, my affinity for Cali goes back to like when I was really young. I think like seeing these images kind of splashed up on screen of like, you know, all of these places and worlds that were being created out here, like via Hollywood, yeah. which is really enticing. Um, especially a kid, you know, who was, you know, living through winters in Cleveland. <laughs> it right. definitely was like appealing. Um, and I think that that connection between California and like the Midwest goes a lot deeper, like even through like music, some of my favorite musicians, um, like, you know, Ohio players and the Gap Band and like all of these guys who like, you know, develop funk um, and that relationship to like G-Funk and P-Funk out, you know, in Cali and like all of that just like added to to that, mm-hmm. um, to that fondness for, for this place. So started early. Um, fast forward to like, uh, my, you know, just after Cartoon Network days, um, at the time was like dating Madeline Moore, uh, who's like hugely impactful to like, not only my personal life, but creative life as well. Mm. Um, she moved to San Francisco and um, I soon after followed <clears throat> about a year, I think after she moved out oh, nice. to San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. Um, and up until that point, we had done a lot of work together through the Young Never Sleep, um, where I was like creative directing and doing a lot of artwork and commission projects. And moving out to California was like trying to get a foothold for that in the West Coast, starting in San Francisco. So there I was like, you know, it was definitely like a culture shock for sure. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. How so? And coming from Atlanta. Um, in so many different ways, like, there, there was a lot kind of bottled up in that transition. So for one, you know, I was with the person that I was dating at the time. So moving from like east to west over there was a big part of that. Um, and then coming from Atlanta to San Francisco is dramatically different. Like mm. everything from the kind of people you see, just like as soon as you step off the airplane, you know, into the airport, um, to the way the city is laid out, the, the geography, the way, you know, everything about it, the architecture is like so radically different. Um, So there was like an adjustment period that was, you know, a little challenging and and also like rewarding in a lot of ways. Um, San Francisco is a beautiful city. Uh, It's really dynamic. It's like a lot easier to walk since it's, it's like quite small, I would say, and compared to Atlanta, which is like 
really expansive and almost must be driven around <laughs> um, for the most part, uh, which has changed now quite a bit, but, but certainly then it was like, you know, you have to drive or like, that's kind of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but SF, you know, it's like, you know, if you, if you set out to walk across the whole city in a day, like you could do that, you know, it's like, you can, you can walk just about everywhere. Um, it's really accessible in that way. And like, uh, just a beautiful place. So I started freelancing. I did work for Dolby, um, via Kevin Bird, who's like an Atlanta kind of, uh, community person. Um, he was working at Dolby at the time and pulled me in for a couple projects. Um, I did work for Medium. Mm. Um, I was working for an agency called Enzo, who does like social, social forward uh, projects. So we did work for Medium, um, where I met Jason Nichols, who was an amazing um, storyteller and just creative mind. Um, awesome person who I've stayed in contact with and become good friends with. Um, we did a project for Every Table, which is actually based in LA, uh, which is this really great restaurant, which has a model of like kind of wealth redistribution um, where they, you know, certain restaurants in certain neighborhoods um, and all of it like is like really health conscious food. They price the meals at a different price based on the economic sort of average in that community versus other neighborhoods. So I thought that was just like really interesting. Um, so projects like that, um, I was, I was doing in addition to doing my own art, um, uh, and met people like Larissa Hagio and Andrew McPhee. Um, Andrew McPhee is actually the person who introduced me to Snap, to the world of Snap. Um, his platform scene, which allows for the 3D scanning, and, like the face filters that you see, like that's essentially his company, which was bought by Snap. Mm -hmm. Um, developed that technology. Um, so I met him, met Larissa, and we collaborated quite a bit in San Francisco as well. Um, and, you know, that entire experience, I think, in SF, and then, like, another year or so in Oakland, like, not only from, like, a creative and professional aspect, did I, I, I grow, grew quite a bit. Um, I think, like, the pace there is quite different, um, I would say, in that you know, it, it's a little harder. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little harder. Like, you know, your, your first, the first place you're going to live in San Francisco when you move, unless you're like quite wealthy, is going to be like a closet basically. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, Madeline and I both had a really similar experience, like moving over there. Like the first place you live is going to be in a closet or somebody's basement. Like, and you're going to be paying, you know, you know, yeah, you know, a thousand dollars at least to live in that closet. Um, and you just kind of work your way up from there and you kind of take whatever job you can get. Um, I know Madeline was like, you know, working in, you know, restaurants. She was like selling flowers at one point. We both did like set design projects together. It was just like, wow. you know, all the projects just to like keep the money coming in. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's just, um, it's pretty intense. And I never, I never actually found a place to live for more than, three months, I think at a time, mm. just because I was subletting, you know, I was subletting every place and just bouncing around. So I literally lived in just about every neighborhood in San Francisco, um, just because I was subletting from friends and people that I met all over the place. Um, I ended up finding a place in Oakland that I lived in for about a year. And that was like the most stable place I had been in just because it was, 
available and like reasonably cheap. But again, that was Oakland. Um, so that just kind of shows you like how much of a challenge it was to just kind of like stable, stabilize out there. Um, but it taught me a lot. Um, definitely taught me a lot. Um, and I think uh, another part of that experience was just like opening up my queerness and like exploring that in a way that I hadn't before, um, which I'm sure is possible, you know, was possible in Atlanta, of course, and I had done that a bit in Atlanta, but I think in San Francisco, I was visibly seeing like people take different approaches to how they construct their relationships and like how they like express their sex sexuality and gender. Mm. And, you know, I was um, having conversations with great people that I met, like, um, Carly McCarthy, um, Greer McKetrick, um, who are both really uh, fantastic friends. Um, and, you know, we would just engage in these conversations about queerness, about our heritage um, um, as Americans, you know, me being black and like, you know, Carly's, you know, of like Irish and Jewish descent. And like, we would just have these incredible conversations about the complexity and nuance around all those things, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, definitely fed into my ideas for um like the uh, another world is possible project and like you know having been in like this tech hub but like coming from a place like atlanta growing up in cleveland meeting these people who are queer and like have these very interesting complex backgrounds as it relates to the nation um and, and different things like it was all feeding into that and i think that's was kind of like the seed or like bridged from pandrogeny into another world as possible um all of those ideas continue to like form and evolve i think from from those relationships um madeline and i were always having these really challenging conversations about race and gender mm -hmm. um you know and it it was it, it was incredibly like nourishing and like contributed to a lot of growth because they were hard conversations if, you know trying to date a person who's like you know, she's a white woman and I'm, you know, we're trying to like, you know, explore queerness and explore race and gender and then like navigate how to construct a relationship in a way that wasn't traditional. So all of that was very complicated, um, but also it like showed me th the possibilities of, of um, how to live in a different way. Um, things like the Folsom Street Fair were like every year. Mm -hmm. You know, you just see people come out in their kink gear and just, just walking around the street. And it's just like the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Absolutely. <laughs> it's Absolutely. like like bondage shit and like, mm -hmm. you know, they're like furry outfits and like whips and, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> all it's like, you know, butt ass naked walking around the street. And it's like, OK, this is like a festival that's just every year. And it's just like, that's what happens here. And then like all the queer clubs in Oakland's and like and uh, this <laughs> underground scene just gorgeous and it opened me up quite a lot um mm. and informed a lot of my my like current thinking um about identity uh so it's kind of like a perfect transition to go from pandrogeny is like one of the last things that i did in atlanta mm -hmm. to then go to san francisco and oakland and see like reflections of that kind of in real time being lived um lived out um day to day um yeah and then i guess from there like transitioning to la full-time that came from snap 
So Andrew McPhee introducing me to Snap. He's the one who got my work connected to Evan, um, the CEO, Evan Spiegel, and uh, brought me in. And um, Lauren Morris, who's a designer, um, design lead at, at Spectacles, uh, Snap Spectacles. Um, she was the first person who handed me Spectacles and introduced me to this idea of AR eyewear and what they were trying to build. And I was immediately fascinated by it and saw like the potential and I still do and uh really excited about that and like the entire team at Snap especially Snap Lab uh the design team there um incredibly brilliant people um from all these different walks of life um and backgrounds coming together to build this thing you know they were really really inspiring people um for me wow that journey yeah. so that's that's 4 years Roughly? Yeah, that was like, four years was just LA and Snap. Oh. So like that's going back maybe like six or seven years, like including the Bay in Oakland. That was before I got the job at Snap. Gotcha, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's a little consolidated. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. It's quite an adventure. It's yeah. quite an adventure. So, you know, I think one thing that I can observe here is that um, how did you, what is it about maybe your personality or your practice or what have you that has allowed you to maybe hold, you know, hold fear in, in your hands and know, okay, maybe I'm moving out of my comfort zone, out of my comfort zone. Here I go again. I'm moving out of my comfort zone again. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you right, know, it's yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting. And like, um, how have you made that a part of your practice? Like, how does that feel to you daily or in the navigating of all these things? You know, um, and what would you say to any listener that might? Um, may not even be aware of all the potential in front of them if they were to yeah. kind of go right at it. You know what I mean? And say like, okay, it's yeah. time to expand. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's, that's such a good question. Um, well, I think there are a bunch of things happening all at once. So I will say one thing about me, I told somebody recently, um, me, I was talking to me recently and I told her that like, I really, I, I am many times can be pretty reclusive as a person. Mm -hmm. I grew up like half of my life as an, I think it really like can be summarized well in like just how I grew up. So I grew up like about half of my life was spent as an only child growing up, raised by my mom, just me and her in the house. So like a lot of my life was spent like using my imagination to like, mm. you know, make up stuff, make up friends, make up scenarios, play by myself. I had to entertain myself. So that's what I did. Mm -hmm. And then the other part of my life was spent, you know, helping raise my, my two younger sisters. Um, and so I had to then like become an older brother, become a friend, a companion to them, teach them things, learn things from them. Um, really shaped my, how I like see the world a lot by engaging with them. Um, and you know, they saved my life, I will say in a really tangible way on a couple of times. Um, just, just knowing that they, they rely on me. So that was like the other half of my life. Um, 
so that's very much in play when it comes to like how I navigate things. Um, and so like I can be pretty reclusive, but what I, what I was saying is that I can, I embed a lot of myself in my work. Mm. And I think, I think maybe it can be underestimated a little bit how much I embed myself into my work. <laughs> um, so I, that's why I, see, I really appreciate you, for example, if I actually looking at the you know page with my little research and stuff, um, because you know all of this stuff is like it's essentially me just like psychoanalyzing myself, mm-hmm. and like <laughs> I can call that art, and I can call it a product or a design or whatever the fuck you yeah. know I want to call yeah. it. But no, I think that's true for a lot of things. You know, it's like you look at some you know great compendium that somebody's written this like wonderful book that everybody holds dear and like uses to guide their life and like that was probably somebody just psychoanalyzing themselves at one point you know and you know it can become so many things so like a lot of my work is me just digging into trying to understand who I am um and just kind of pull peeling back those layers and I put a lot of myself in my work and a part of that is me growing up having, you know, moved around quite a bit, you know, half of my life was spent growing up just in Cleveland till I was about 13. And then from that point on, I've been on the move. Mm-hmm. So we moved from Cleveland to Montgomery, Alabama, where I went to high school for a while, mm-hmm. Douglasville, Georgia, where I went to high school mm-hmm. for a little while. Um, and then to Atlanta, um, to Millbrook, Alabama, which is like kind of in the middle of nowhere for a little bit. Um, so I've been like bouncing around for all that time. And there's pros and cons that come with that. Some of it is like you understand that like relationships are going to come and go. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that they're not valuable to you. Like I can remember people from my high school in Douglasville, Georgia, that I only went to for I think like half a year. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, radically changed my life or like still I carry them around with me. Um, So that's something that's true to this day. Uh, And it changes the way I think about something like taking a risk of getting out of my comfort zone. Um, I think that's a good question because I think at the heart of it, if I'm being truly honest, I don't think I've ever been comfortable. Mm. So I don't know that like it's necessarily me leaving a comfort zone because I don't know that I have a comfort zone. Really. Yeah. Like I, I, I could kind of say that I do, but like, if I think about it just a half a second longer, it's like, no, not really. Um, you know, it, it kind of attaches to that conversation. I think we were having about blackness and like digging into that, like facing the void. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I was like, damn, <laughs> that's like, that's kind of it. Yeah. It's like, um, and I was talking to, talking to me again about, some other things and watching this video about about zen buddhism and like this this idea of like the childlike state Mm -hmm. um like when we're born we don't have any concept of language or of god or or gender or of all these other things Mm -hmm. and that's what pandrogyny was kind of tapping into is like all right what happened like who am i the question is always who am i and then the next question is like who am i at a certain point in time, like when I was like a little baby, you know, and I didn't have any idea like what my culture was or what my race was 
or any of these other like constructed things. Like what, if I step back to that point and start there, I have a lot more potential paths than if I start from where I am right now. Like starting from back then, it's like, okay, like I remember even like not even that far back when I was in elementary school, I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer and an animator and draw comic books and sing, (laughs) you know, and do all these things, you know, but I think, you know, the older you get, it's, it's almost like your, your imagination essentially gets kind of whittled away until you have like two options now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Um, oh, you're a graphic designer. Okay. So, okay. Get a graphic design job <laughs> versus when you were a kid and you were like, oh, I want to, I want to dance and like make costumes and be a painter. And I want to be an architect. Yep. And, yeah, you know, yeah. and, it's like, and the adults are like, well, you got to pick one, you know? Right. Right. Um, <laughs> so for me, it's like, it's been on one hand, very challenging to like try to navigate a world where you're really kind of confined in so many different ways, mm. not just in, in job pathways, but in like gender and all these other things, Definitely. which are all connected together at the root. They're the same thing. It's the same yeah. constraints yep. um, acting out. So, and on the other hand, it's been, it's been, it's offered a lot of opportunities because all of my eggs are not in one basket. All my eggs are always in a bunch of different baskets, right. which it's hard sometimes to like, take all of that and try to like wrangle it. But on the other hand, it's like your investments are spread out. So like, you know, you can step off the cliff and like something's going to catch you probably. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Cause you got a lot of, got a lot of options. And the same is true for different meeting, different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. Um, It just, it just makes the picture a lot more defined and gives it more, dimension and shape um your opportunities i think tend to be quite a lot broader and i think people it's easier for people to see themselves in you too there's like so many things about it that like it's beneficial and i think like that's connected to this like this idea of kind of an abstract blackness um which is not a racial thing it's like so much more than that it's something that's like um, more like that childlike state mm. that we were talking about. Um, and I think if there's an opportunity for a lot, if, if you go back to that place and then start there and imagine things. Yeah. I think like you might've nailed one of the major tenets of a, of a practice is like um, being in constant um access to your like inner child you know Um, I mean what I what was coming up for me when you were talking is how part of the problem is like we're constantly pushed to try to commodify you know yeah Um, yeah (laughs) and one of the like things that allows commodification to actually happen is repetition like pattern you know you can't commodify something if you can't rely on it to repeat itself enough to become a commodity you know what i mean like (laughs) so like if you're wanting to paint and make suits and be an ice skater and do all these things which i think is actually what probably 
most humans actually want. They probably oh yeah definitely wanted to do a million <laughs> things, you know, like uh, but you know you're like browbeaten into saying like well you need you need to operate in these channels and these channels only to keep everything moving along you know and it's like and what what's the result of that well like depression (laughs) you know like lack lack of connection with your true self i think that comes up a lot you know where it's like people think they know who they are but they've not even spent any time Oh, like yeah. getting into that, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. in fact, they're kind of taught not to like, listen to that or pay attention to that, because it kind of, again, it, it, it threatens the ability for them to act as a commodity, you know? Um, yeah, right. And I think like, you know, I'm kind of similar to you that like, I feel like I have eggs kind of spread out in a lot of baskets as well, you know, because I, I never said, you know, well, I'm just not I can't do that. Like, I can't have an interest in that, or I can't do this. You know, I was always like, hell yeah, let's go into it. I'm like, (laughs) you know, and like the more, the more fresh it is, the more excited I get about it, you know, because I'm like, oh, cool. I have a lot to learn. I like being naive. It's a great, I mean, the the emotion (laughs) of naivety is amazing. Like when you're just moving into something and you feel just pure positive energy for it and enthusiasm. It's amazing, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I, yeah, I mean, I like, and I, I like when you kind of going back to your another world as possible. Um, I think you're you're starting to kind of like create a create a uh, like a proposition that is tapping into what I think most people are wanting to move towards. I mean, a lot of people know another world is possible and it's like how do we get there what is that going to look like what are the things we need to start talking about what do we need to you know visualize um what spaces do we need to create for that so i i think for me personally i find it really fascinating that it it seems like for you it's been a blend of being a little bit kept to yourself as a child where you've really had to rely on your own imagination to develop who you are mixed with moving around a lot mixed with moving to some really vital places that have helped you ask questions about well why do we have gender expression as we do or sexual expression as we do or relationships built the way we do um and to see that played out in like in active actively different ways like in san francisco and then leading you to this work as a designer and as an artist i feel like i'm all over the map here but it's just like really exciting to see like how personal this evolution has been for you and how you've found a way to make it find its way into your work um yeah yeah it's been it's definitely it's always personal for sure and um yeah this idea of like another world is possible and you're absolutely right like people people always have and always will be trying to dream up like new worlds um i think that like uh there's something so fundamental about that um as as a part of being just like 
conscious social animals Mm -hmm. like um in order for us to to even be social we have to like extend our consciousness out into the world yeah and like connect it to some something someone else um so that means like we we both you know we both have to agree on like the symbols that we're using and like what they mean and like we have to establish this whole other like kind of realm that emerges from like um our connection to one another so we've always been like dreaming up new worlds and that's how i mean that's how like religions come to be that's how like financial systems education systems you know methods of learning ideas come to life is because people are trying to think of other things in other places um and that's what i was doing as a kid i mean we all did that as kids we all imagined these places in these different ways of being and um i think that like as we grow older, I think we maybe lose the, we lose the understanding that those things can have practical applications to enhancing our lives. Um, That like imagination isn't just like this frivolous thing. Um, That like even if something seems completely sort of pointless and like, you know, um non-essential that like it's more about the way we interpret it than it is about the thing itself mm-hmm. um i think fashion is a great example of that like oh yeah you know fashion is you know for a lot of people it's like something that's like all right like you know what's what's the purpose of making that like what is, what value does that have some people don't even see it as like fine art um let alone like being something that's like essential as a part of like how we live our lives um but like understanding you know fashion's heritage and like you know understanding that fashion that clothing it is a technology in itself it's it's a language um there's all these things about it it sort of changes the way we think about it and changes you know what the potential of it is and i think that applies to like just about anything that childlike imagination um that divergent thinking um can have practical applications, uh, even though it doesn't seem like it on the surface. And that's kind of where, I think that's where my head is now, is like transitioning from this place of, you know, making the art based on the imagination kind of more purely for art's sake mm-hmm. into the place where it has like some practical application, but still retains the, the art, sort of artful nature um because that's the thing for me is like you know if you look back in history and even present day like these things like art and technology and science and all these things are like they're essentially the same thing you know there's not really a, a difference um there was a you know a period of time where human beings you know understood that they were all the same thing and then they got divided into different things different disciplines which i think is useful yeah. in a way and now i think we're you know kind of coming or a lot of the quote-unquote western world is coming to a place where like science is integrating across disciplines and not a lot more out of necessity and art and science is is integrating a lot more mm-hmm. and i think a lot of a lot more of this integration is what's going to kind of get us to or has the potential to get us to like a new plateau mm-hmm. of, of how we live together um and that's really exciting for me to be a part of 
Yeah, that was kind of, that was going to be one of my questions is, you know, what do you see in the near future as far as like um, the, some of the culmination of your work or like maybe not even specifically your work, but just like the way that the world might be starting to take some shape um, and how you're participating in that um, with, with the work that you do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's been, qu- it's been a real challenge. Um, <laughs> Just because like my, my head is in a, is, is I'm always having like, just like constantly ideas about things that could be made. Um, mm. And I'll term them as products or like yeah. different, different like business formats, if you want to call it that, whatever, mm-hmm. um, platforms or whatever, like lots of these ideas um, all the time. Um, and I think for me, it's really going to be valuable in the near future, like personally to just like look back at the work that I have done, kind of recontextualize it through some things that I understand now having like, you know, work that snapped and like kind of peeked through this window into the world of like augmented reality, mixed reality, like media in general, new media. Um, but look, look at that stuff through like very, a very like uh, anthropological lens um to see like how how can these things not only have like value for people in terms of engagement but also like practical use Mm. um at the same time um so like the bowl example is is like the example (laughs) we i come to a lot is like okay that bowl has a practical use it's gonna hold some food that you're gonna eat Mm -hmm. But it can be pretty too at the same time, yeah. <laughs> you know. And it, you know, it can represent your culture. It can have your language on it, or uh, you know, images of people that you love, or animals that are in your near vicinity. You know, all of that can happen simultaneously. So when I think about technologies like augmented reality, like wearable devices, and you know, all the shit that we have right now, because mm-hmm. um, the reality is we live in the future already. Yep, uh, the year right now. So like when I look at technologies like that, I'm thinking about that from like that perspective. Like, um, you know, a technology comes about that we might not see as valuable in the present, but like, you know, would be in the future. I think there's a lot of things that we live with right now that even 10 years ago, we would have looked back and said like, why the hell do you need that to exist? (laughs) You know, Um, until somebody makes it and there's a use for it and then you understand like you know probably couldn't even live without it mm-hmm. um so that's the kind of place that i'm coming at this from um so i want to for me it's it's really going to be like world building i guess essentially and world building you know for me it's going to have to incorporate quite a lot you know so like if we step into the world of like you know 20th century America and Atlanta, United States, like that world has a specific language. It has specific kinds of people. There is a currency. There is an understanding of like history. Um, There's a food culture and all of that stuff. Like all of these things is encapsulated like one world. Right, right. So (laughs) it's true. true. Right. (laughs) 
So when we talk about building multiple versions of that, it's, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that's kind of like where, that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's like at the very beginning of that, of, of building these multiple worlds out. And it's, it's going to be a lot. And I think like, fortunately, like a lot of the work is already done. Cause if I look back at like all the work I've done, mm-hmm. recontextualize it, I put a bunch of stuff next to each other and it's like, Oh wait, like I already have like, you know, 10 different, you know, individuals and like a language and like, there's kind of a world kind of taking shape already here. Yeah. And that, that's the process I'm going through now is like digging up all this stuff and trying to contextualize it and understand like, okay, I already have like a few different worlds. They just need to like have these other things ingrained into them and built into them, these other systems. Um, and within that, I think, sort of use that as a, a way to test out some hypotheses about different products and different things that will have practical use right. for people in, in this world. Right, right. <laughs> um, it's fun. And there's a lot of implications there. There's a lot of implications there. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm, I'm at right now. It's, it's interesting. Um, I pulled up this quote uh, in one of the other podcasts um, recently we recorded, but when I was in design school, <clears throat> one of my professors said something to me that has always, well, she said two things to me that have always stuck with me. And I'm curious your reaction to them. The first is when she said, you know, what is, what is the role of the designer? She said, the role of the designer is to create a world in which nobody knew existed, but the second they come into contact with it, they can't live without it. Bam. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so that's like number one, like that has always like led my work, you know? And the second thing she said, and this is more specifically to like the experience or the practice of designing or like kind of on a, I'd say a psychological level, but she always said, you have to find the smile in the soul of your work. And I was like, yes, like, damn. I mean, she's yeah, loaded. She, yeah, she's just, <laughs> <laughs> and she would say that, you know, whenever anyone was stuck or frustrated or uh, just things weren't like flowing properly on a project, she's like, you got to find mm-hmm. the smile in the soul of your work. And for a while I was like, how does one do that? <laughs> like, what, what do you do to do that? But like, I think what she was trying to say is, you know, that like ultimately your intuition and your, your child, your inner child, your voice, mm-hmm. that's where it's at. Like if you can find that place where you, you can get to a little smirk, little smile, then you're probably working on the right thing, working on the right path, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, it has to be felt. It has to be felt. Sure. It's it's not a logical place. It's interesting because I often think about how much like setup a project has, right? Like how much we try to make a project logical. Like, okay, I'm, I'm going to yeah. put all this research into it. I'm going to put all these uh, check-ins and timelines and blah, 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 blah. But I think like anytime something really great on a project happens. I feel like it comes in a flash, almost feels like an accident and it changes the course of everything. It's like, it just comes out of nowhere, like from the gut or from the void. It's like, here you go. Like, (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like I I would argue that like 
like it is logical that like those things are are more synonymous than I think we we, we think like that yeah. facts are feelings you know mm. like they they like I you, one thing that I I keep coming back to like especially recently is this idea of emergence mm. and like it's something that shows up when you're dealing with computer science and, and artificial intelligence machine learning is something that shows up if you're studying um, colonies of ants and termites. Uh, it comes up all over the place. If you're talking about culture, if you're talking about the internet, if you're talking about nature, emergence, it's everywhere. So like this, what you just said, like this, that feeling that something comes out of nowhere, like that's an example of that. And like the way that it sort of works is like things can be structured in a way so that uh, that structure, the architecture of that, um, like qualia is, is one of the fields of study that's dealing with this, where like they're trying to look at the structure of things as the mind put, as the brain puts them together. And from that architecture emerges the, the symbol or the idea of what that means, like the subjective meaning of the thing. Mm. So like if you put three dots together and arrange them in a certain way, like people will look at that and say it's a triangle. Right. Even though like in reality or in a, <laughs> a kind of reality, there's no such thing as a triangle, like, you know, that doesn't exist. So the triangle is what emerges from the architecture of those, the, the way that those dots are lined up. Right. right. So that same thing happens with these ideas that kind of come out of nowhere is like, it's not necessarily that they come out of nowhere. I think, I think that like what it is, is like the arrangement of specific things in, in, in a specific time. It, it creates an environment where that idea, it, it almost necessitates <laughs> that that comes out of us, like that emerges from us. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's very logical. Like it's all very logical. And like there, you know, it, it's really interesting. Like, I would like dig, dig, digging into like culture theory and like game theory and all these other things, like where you're dealing with like systems and like, you know, sets of numbers and architecture of different things and like how the structure of something and what it represents are different, yeah. <laughs> but they have this specific kind of relationship. Um, so I think like, yeah, like, I think that that's, it is really logical. And, and again, it like emphasizes the importance of imagination and of dreaming and of fantasy and of all of this stuff, because it's, it's coming from, from within us from a, a really deep place. Yeah. Um, and it has, and that's why I think it's like, it's so easy for people to be receptive to specific things is because them relating to that, or, or us relating to a specific idea means that like it has to be agreed upon by like a lot of different people yeah. across time right and like um you know like a cave painting you look at the cave painting and you see the shape and you say like oh that's a person well it's only a person because like i've agreed <laughs> with this person ten thousand years ago as to like what the shape <laughs> of a person, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, pretty, That's it's pretty powerful. So powerful. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. We're speaking to each other right now, you know, across time and space. Yes. Um, you drew this thing that 
you drew this thing 10,000 years ago and I can look at it now and still know what it means to a large degree. So like when we're talking about like storytelling and, and images, art, like making all this stuff, like um, things that might not seem logical or have a purpose. Like there might've been a person in the cave who's like looking at this person, draw this. You know what I'm saying? Like, why the fuck are you drawing that? Like, that's not helping us right. like eat. That's yeah, we, you know, you what are you doing? Be, you like, need to be out need there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you come help. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, no, nah, I want to paint this thing. <laughs> we should paint this. You know, we should probably like, you know, right? Don't you think so? Like, no, what the fuck are you doing? Like, come help me start the fire. <laughs> so like, you know, now when we talk about things like augmented reality, you know, and, and mixed reality and like, you know, even painting or whatever it is, um, you know, it's like, you're not wasting your time. Like you, you, it's kind of critical that you do this stuff that you dream and that you put it out there because you never know what that's going to mean later. Like you right. never know how that's going to manifest a year from now, 200 years from 10,000 years from now, you know, how that's going to man manifest and what it's going to mean. Like the Cosmos Sapiens project was a big part of that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, of sending all these signals out to space like how come you get to send signals of you know <laughs> stuff out to space like exactly i want to do, I wanna do my that. friends deserve to yeah. be memorialized <laughs> you know? yeah like, yeah so yeah it's i don't know there's a lot there's a lot to it this storytelling and world building you know it's important um you never know what that what that's going to mean or where that's going to end up end up later uh, I mean, I, th I yeah. think it's the, I think it, I like that you said it actually is highly logical because I actually agree with you, but not in a traditional understanding of what logic is, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah, logic right. is in like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like it makes sense to go to the grocery store for an apple. I, I don't know. Is that logical? <laughs> I don't know. But like, but on a, <laughs> but on a, like, I think, evolution itself is part like these ideas these uh building these new worlds these stories like i think so much of evolution is actually rooted in that above it almost anything else and i think it's like if you look at nature closely enough you can understand that all of nature is always kind of like it's a it's this interesting timeline of evolving social interaction and storytelling and i don't know it's some wild shit absolutely and like and it's like it's funny to me that there's always been this tension at least historically between the dreamers and the people imagining things and the people that are the basically like occupying the past <laughs> like so there's like this weird tension between what is actually present and now the future and the past and i feel like like this conversation we're having right now in my opinion is our it's already in the past like we've already manifested this from before now do you know what i mean mm -hmm. and it's played itself out so that we're sitting down and we're actually doing this. Absolutely. You kind of get my point here and like, okay. Yes. <laughs> and then, you yeah. know, what's happening right now is between you and I, we're already dreaming up what's coming next. Like we're just doing it. Yeah. It's wild. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I agree that there is, there does seem to be that tension. 
And I think that like, things weren't always that way, I would imagine. And I think that for certain people, they aren't still today. And also like, I think that it's really valuable sometimes, at least for me to like, to reconsider that like the past, present and future are different, are different. Yeah. And in, instead like see them as like the same, like we're always, like the past, present and future is, is always happening at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what that means, um, what that means for us, what that means for the kind of work that we're doing. Um, if, if not just as a metaphor, but, but like even literally that they exist kind of one on top of one another. Um, like what that means for us, I think is like, it's interesting. I think it, my, when I think about it, I find it uh, like, an, it's just very liberating because I find evidence of like the fluidity and malleability of like all things at all times in a sense when I think about it mm -hmm. like that, you know what I mean? That um, you're never at an end point. You're never, you're just, you always have the option to look at things for the infinite potential that they have. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's like something that's always available to you if you can tap into it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's like a skill that, it takes people some time to like arrive at that and understand that um, because we're built with the five senses, right? Like we have our five senses that give us data and information all the time. And it's hard sometimes to not look at stuff just for what it is and say, this is what it is right now to, mm -hmm. to back up and go to that kind of that's that creative space that source space that's always like in a state of potential uh creative mm -hmm. potential yeah <laughs> yeah and i think there's like yeah for sure there's like you know there's a certain amount of like opportunity and privilege as well linked to that like yeah. the ability to be the person to put it frankly the person painting and not the person hunting yeah <laughs> um and maybe, you know, there's afforded a lot more in the ability to be able to do both. Um, mm -hmm. And like, when we're all able to do both, like, that's, that's really essential. And like, that's the sweet spot. Because um, they both benefit us in different ways. Uh, and I think like, one of them is living a little bit more in the past and in the future. And another one is living a little bit more in the present. And like, we need all of that kind of at the same time yeah. at the table mm -hmm. in order to get a good picture of what we need to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my head's been kind of in, in, those, in those places. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> I, ca I call it the, uh, the contrast. What you're talking about, I call the contrast. Like think of it as like a design element, you know, contrast, allows you to make sense of things next to each other, right? And in living and in all of us living with each other, we're actually like daily, almost minute by minute, second by second, experiencing contrast that helps us understand where we want to go next. 
it's really important. Mm -hmm. And so no matter what you're doing with your life or how you're choosing to let your narrative unfold or how you choose to kind of define reality, you're, you're still going to like, you'll come into contrast with things that help shape a better version of what you were five minutes ago. You know, right? You see what I'm getting at? Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It, it's like a sharpening. It's like. always a sharpening tool. And it goes on, for, I, I think, for eternity, honestly. And I think that's where a lot of, like, evolution actually comes from is that as well. Like, so the hunter and yeah. painter are both experiencing contrast at the same time, but they're different types of contrast, right? Like, even the tension that may exist between them is a is positive in a sense because it helps sharpen what's becoming activated within them to move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. (laughs) So nobody loses. I think it's just, yeah, it's like, it's a matter of so much of it is, I think a matter of like uh, awareness, you know, it's really just Mm -hmm. more about awareness than anything, but I love it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, is there anything else you want us to be considering or thinking about or any anything else coming down the line for you? Um, Are you planning to stay in LA for a while? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the plan. Um, I will be bouncing around a little bit. Um, I would love to find like a place that's more permanent, that's, you know, uh with some roots in the ground a little bit yeah uh but until that time i'll be in la and then i'll be kind of bouncing around a little bit looking for potential home um i do want to like um try to acknowledge and like shout out (laughs) the snap lab yeah fam go for it people who have been so like integral to my like growth over the last four years and like learned so much from these people um sarah kim and brandon carrillo um ilter cranberg uh again andrew mcphee lauren morris christina marrero um 10 <laughs> who's amazing mm-hmm. um uh, matthias uh matt hanover um so many people, long list of people. Um, I'm going to forget some, but uh, yeah, just like a lot of people there really great, became good friends and also just like learned a lot um, across like a lot of different disciplines. Um, And it contributed quite a bit to what I understand now and kind of where I want to head with my creative work. Um, So deeply appreciate those people for sure. And I would encourage uh, anybody listening to to check check them out. I think I'll post something on Instagram and tag a bunch of folks, or you can look on my site. I'm gonna continue to add to the community page, yeah. I think. And uh, yeah, check it out. Get get familiar with with some of those people. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, uh, maybe we could also have some of them on the show. Oh yeah. You- for sure should you know to yeah, chat with them um i'm really excited about this platform you know just kind of getting into conversation with all types of people i mean i we've recorded up to about 15 now nice and yeah. it's just wild to me like every the the 
direction they all take, you know, um, it's just really cool. So, um, well, cool. Hell yeah. I, I think this has been an extremely rewarding conversation. I, I feel like I feel like it's tough to want to like you know stop stop recording (laughs) but like (laughs) you know what I mean but um, it really is yeah it's it's really been beautiful and like honestly thank you for taking time to to be with us and to share your world and worlds with uh, our listeners you know I I think everyone will benefit from the trajectory. I appreciate this a lot. <laughs> yeah, man, totally. It's, yeah. I mean, you've, you've built a wonderful trajectory and you, you know, I think um, you always got to remember you're paving the way for, for people to come behind you and do other meaningful work too. So um, it's wonderful. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, 100%. Um, cool. <laughs>